From New Orleans, Louisiana, it's Empirical's PowerTech Podcast. This is the place where we talk about bringing technology to the power industry. Our goal is to educate you on the most popular trends, bring you actionable strategies from industry thought leaders, and help you make sure your utility is prepared for the future. I'm your host, Matthew Sachs, president of Empirical, former utility engineer and power industry advocate. The utility industry has a long history of enforcing high standards when it comes to workplace safety. This attention to safety is imperative due to the nature of the work and the hazards the employees face, both in their environment and with regards to the equipment. New challenges are emerging, however, that could affect the ability of companies to maintain these standards and result in significant costs caused by inadequate safety practices. To confront these challenges successfully, the industry must go beyond safety protocols, training, and protective equipment. While these are necessary, companies should strive to develop a pervading culture of safety based on a commitment to safety excellence that improves safety performance, operational effectiveness, and business performance. Ride Courtney began his career in the U.S. military, serving as an Army combat medic from 1990 to 1994 on active duty and from 1994 to 1998 in the reserves. While on reserve status, he worked in law enforcement and attended college at Armstrong Atlantic State University and Columbia Southern University, where he studied occupational health and safety. Rod has been a certified safety technician for 22 years and recently became a certified utility safety professional. He's had a long career in safety that includes working as an HS&E manager in an active combat zone for three years during our Operation Iraqi Freedom. While this project had a special set of challenges, no challenge was greater than running his own safety consulting firm from 2012 to 2019. And in June of this year, Rod accepted the position of HSC manager here at Empirical. Rod, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you with us today. What do you think are the biggest challenges we in the power delivery industry in particular face when it comes to talking about safety? Well, good question, Matthew. Actually, there's a couple of things. So anything to do with safety, the, the first thing is we have to be able to convince upper management, leadership of the company, that safety isn't just a, a drag on your bottom line. You know, and, and believe it or not, there are still a lot of companies, larger companies even, that believe that. You know, they, they, they see it as money going out, but, but there's no return. You know, and then at the end of the day, that's why we're in business, right? We, we need to make a return. There have been a ton of studies done, the business and labor statistics, uh, OSHA does them, ANSI does them. And we can actually show now, well, let me back up, if the program is run correctly, if, if you put the right things in place and you run the program correctly, we can actually show a return on your investment, an actual dollar amount that you made at the end of the year for having, a, you know, the, the correct things in place. So that that's number one, is, is convincing the stakeholders that it's not just money going out. You know, the other thing, there's been such a shift in, in safety over the years. You know, when, when I started many years ago, it was basically an accident happens. We create a new rule. We train on the new rule. Now we enforce a new rule. Then another accident happens and we, you know, follow that same thing over and over again, you know. And honestly, the protective equipment that's worn today, that's kind of how it all started. You know, some poor guy was on a job site somewhere, got hit in the head with something, and somebody had this bright idea. Hmm, let's put a hard plastic thing on his head. 
I know they don't look good, but let's let's try this out. And then over time, those have developed into what they are today. Right. And, and you know, getting away from that and getting into what safety is today, there, there's a lot more psychology that goes into it today than ever before. So we've moved from that form of safety, and and to get this to have people understand this is difficult. Get away from enforcing rules. That, that's not what it's about. It's human performance driven now. And, and what I mean by that, well, so if you go back many years ago, I say many, 15, DuPont started a program called the DuPont Stop Program, right? Stop. And basically what that was, it was the first fully implemented behavior-based safety program. So what, what they thought was, you know, if we can go out there and we can identify these behaviors and we can correct the behavior, well, we'll never have the accident. And, and there was some truth to that. Well, that, that has now grown over the years into what now we're calling human performance, which is, and behaviors is part of it, but there's a lot more to it. So in human performance, what we have to realize, number one, people make mistakes. You know, we've all made countless mistakes today. How many times today have you had to hit the backspace button on your computer? It was because there was a mistake, right? right? Now, now there, there's no consequences of that, right? Unless you don't hit the backspace button or don't add the zero and then you send that bit out and the zero's missing or there's one extra zero on it, well, now it causes problems, right? So, so first we have to understand people do make mistakes. The second thing is blame fixes nothing. We can sit here and blame each other all day long. What does that solve? Nothing. The next is learning and improving is vital. But you have to be willing to learn because some things you learn you might not want to know. You have to understand that what you're probably going to learn, some of it you didn't expect, but, but it's vital. The next is context drives behavior, all right? So what that means is the workers do things, and this is workers that are in the field, workers that are here in the office. When they make a decision to do something, their reason behind making that decision makes perfect sense to them at the time. We have to understand, though, that the, the context drives that behavior. And the last thing is how we respond to that failure matters. Now, this goes for the, the engineers and all of us here in the office, but, but more so for the people that are out working in the field, our, our, our construction guys, right? So every aspect of improvement is contingent on leadership's dedication to deliberately get better. And if we can do those five things, that's where safety is today. It's not, you know, create a new rule, enforce a new rule anymore. It, there's a lot more psychology in it. You know, it almost sounds when you talk about going back to the stop program mm -hmm. and, and the behavior-based, almost like a root cause type approach to it, as opposed to responding to accidents and Absolutely. everything after the fact and what could we have done better or, right, just human error and making mistakes, yeah. actually going back to the prevention side and, yeah. and backing it up and, and taking that root cause approach almost to, to a safety problem. Absolutely. And, and, and we can do that. And so, you know, human performance, when, when you say it in certain circles, people instantly think safety. Well, human performance, that means safety. And, and it does. It absolutely does. But here at Empirical, we do what's called human and organizational performance. So it's a full program that not only affects the safety of all of our employees in the field, in the office, but also all the organizational side of things where backspace on the keyboard, right. you know, those kind of things where we have layers of protection in place to make sure that for example, again, that, that bid doesn't go out missing a zero or, right. you know, something gets picked up before it becomes a, 
a hazard or you know something bad. Right. And I think, too, for companies like us, maybe not having necessarily the direct employees that are, are field workers and maybe as high risk as, as some others, I think safety was always kind of that compliance type thing. Yep. You know, check the boxes, make sure you have this form filled out. But now you see the, the growing emphasis mm-hmm. our customers have placed on it. And as we learn more about this, mm-hmm. how much more of a culture comes from integrating that Absolutely. into everything we do, from even the way we do our designs. Yeah. There can be a safety component and how those designs actually get built out in the field. Absolutely. Fascinating yep. stuff. So uh, companies take that approach and, and they want to have more of that safety culture. How do they go about to implement an effective but also sustainable safety program that will live with them for the foreseeable future? You know, developing the program side of it is the easy part. It it truly is. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the law. The law could mean what OSHA says or what, you know, certain regulatory agencies tell us. But also, or even a client. Or a client. That's the next mm-hmm. part. So, so the, all of our clients have their set of rules. And sometimes those exceed what the, the agency may tell us. So, so we have to understand that first. So when we develop programs, a lot of what we do is, is we ask some questions. Do we need it? And do we have it? Right. So is this in place? And if it is in place, do we even need it or not? Because, you know, some some things we just don't need. But other other things are not in place that we do need. And again, going back to what I said before, when you start asking these questions, you have to want to know the answer, because, again, sometimes it's not what you thought or what you wanted to hear. At the end of the day, though, we're going to do five things, basically. Okay, so so first we're going to, like I said early, demonstrate that our company we're re- truly committed to this safety thing, right? It's not just something that we're going to do. So tell you a quick story. When, when I interviewed for this position, and understand I, I ran my firm for um, about eight years, and I was in a position where we had made, my wife and I had made the decision to sell off our company and find the right fit. But I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I didn't have to take anything. I, I was fine where I was at. I could have stayed there for as long as I wanted to and be just fine. And I've, I've been to quite a few interviews, you know? And so when, when I came and interviewed for with empirical, this was, I guess, back in May of 2019, I sit in, in a conference room, very similar to this one. And I'm sitting there with, with our director of operations with, you know, all these project managers. It was kind of like a military board style interview. You know, you're looking at all these people and at the end of it, they always ask this question, right? Do you have any questions for us? That's just kind of the, the parting thing that you do, right? Well, I had one for them. And, and the question was this, do you guys really mean safety first or is it just something you say? And I ask that question to everybody. And sometimes it takes them off guard. You know, oh, you know, what do you mean? No, truly. Be- because here's the thing. Safety doesn't have to be expensive. I'm not saying that. But it's also not free, you know. And, and by free, I mean you have to put your time and your effort into it. So I knew then from the answers from, from James and, the, and all the PMs in the room that this was the right fit for me. Because they they actually believed that safety came before anything else. You know, I, I didn't have to convince them of that. They already knew that. So that, that, that's number one. Now, you have to assess the hazards next. So when, when you're developing this program, get the commitment, assess all the hazards in the workplace, create the written protocols, which, again, is the easy part. Now we have to educate everybody. Here's what it says you're going to do. All right, so now everybody needs to understand that. And again, it's not rocket science. Most guys already know this. They just want to know what does your program say? You know, I've, I've done it 10 different ways. I just want to know how you want it done. So we, we, we train them on that. And then the last part is implement it and evaluate it, right? Implementation, again, relatively easy. 
but you have to continuously evaluate your programs. That is never ending. We evaluate our stuff, well, daily, really, but I mean, on, on a quarterly basis, we have subject matter experts that literally dig into our programs and evaluate every part of it. So with those five things is how a company can take and implement good, solid programs. That's interesting. Now, utilities have existed for about 100 years or so, and OSHA for the last 50 of those. But are there still areas that kind of aren't meeting the goal, where despite this, whether it's regulation or or efforts by the industry, where we're coming up short when looking at safety? We take pride in the fact that we learn stuff every day, right? And and I think everybody's been told that, you know, you, you should learn something new every day. In safety, we, we do too. Just recently, actually. So without going too deep into it, uh, there was an electrical company in, uh, over in Texas that had a fatality on their system. When it happened, I didn't understand how, how could that happen. You know, I, I didn't understand what had happened. But once you dig into it and I start learning, and actually I realized it wasn't just me. I mean, it was a lot of people out there that didn't understand what the hazards of induction electricity is. Okay. Now, now basically what induction means is there's a source somewhere in the vicinity, but understand that this stuff travels through the air. The electricity literally travels with the humidity and, and all this other stuff. Everything in the area, the pipes, the structures, the other lines that aren't even turned on right now, all this stuff ends up with some form of induction in it. Now, it might be so much that and we've all done this, right? It's wintertime. We've got our sweaters on. We're walking to the door. We reach over and pop, right? It, it, it kind of electrocutes you a little bit. That's induction electricity. That's the same same principle. But now let, let's take that to, you know, 143 kV or 500 kV, you know, way up there. So in, in this particular incident, there was induction electricity. They, they had what they believed were the correct grounds in place. Uh, and as it turns out, it wasn't. And a gentleman lost his life because of that. So now as an industry, we are learning more and more about this induction electricity and how it's actually just as dangerous, sometimes more, than live power lines. Because of the fact a live power line I know starts at A and ends at B. Ah, okay, don't don't touch that. But what induces off of that, what comes out of that, can get into things you didn't even realize. Your coffee mug, this, this metal. You know, I, I mean, you know, this is we're inside, it's not gonna happen here, but that, that happens. And when that happens, you end up with, you know, horrible things that, that, that can happen. So that, that's one of the ones recently we learned a lot about. And induction is probably the most misunderstood phenomenon in the electrical industry. What we're learning now is that the grounds that were provided during that, well, they, they weren't used properly, but it wasn't enough even then. And then so, so if we're working on a live power line, we, we know we have to have an EPZ, right? An equipotential zone, which basically means that my potential and the potential around me is all the same. So I'm grounded. Everything metal around me is or bonded to the system neutral, okay? So no matter what I touch, everything is the same now. So nothing's going to happen. If I remove one of those grounds and I touch something, the potential is different and I get shocked. We can do the same thing for induction that, that we do for these live power lines. And that's what we're looking at. My, myself, some of our clients are, are looking into this, and we actually have a little sidebar group going right now to try to figure out, are we doing enough? So that's that, that's one of them. And that almost seems to bring up a, a concept, too, not just in this industry, but I can see in a lot of different, be it construction or 
certain high-risk maintenance activities or so on, there's a certain level of expertise uh, about the inherent system you're working with. Yeah. You know, regardless of how you approach safety or what you've been trained on, mm -hmm. there's also still that background within that particular industry that's going to be needed to be integrated with that safety Absolutely. measurement, the program, the analysis, the behaviors, the objectives, everything you're trying to promulgate across, you know, a company yeah. and raise this culture. If that expertise isn't there, there could still be some dangers lurking that we haven't identified yet. Absolutely, because you know, safety covers everything. And I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm not a structural engineer. I'm not a, you know, mm -hmm. we, we have those people in house that we can pull from. But like I said, in these situations, sometimes the right people weren't brought into it because somebody could have told us that. You know, right. some, somebody out there knew this, but it just wasn't integrated into that system correctly. Uh, we, we saw a hotel collapse here, you know, recently, yeah. and, and the construction workers weren't yeah. the ones to specify a lot of that, and yet they were the ones caught when some safety was violated Absolutely. In, in that regard. Yep. So given all your time in this industry to date, what kind of innovations have you seen from the safety perspective? You know, what tends to set some companies apart when it comes to their individual safety performance? Well, you know, it's funny. When when I started in this industry, and you understand this has been 30 years ago, back then, the metrics that was used was lost time accidents. We had recordable, and, and recordable for, for OSHA means it meets a certain requirement that we have to put it on an OSHA log. But above that is lost time. So that recorded incident now becomes a lost time when that employee can't come to work. So the metrics that we followed was, no lost times. No, no lost times. That, that was a bad thing. People were still getting hurt, though. Some of them pretty bad. Because I promise you, I can find something for you with your broke leg to come to the job site and do. Right. You know, or, or, you know, you got, and I kid you not, we've had guys with neck braces on sitting in an office doing something. Doing paperwork. Absolutely. Probably. Doing something to keep this from being, quote, lost time. And that that's the way we thought of things back then. But, you know, o over time, we've grown as an industry and now the thought process is we don't hurt anyone. We don't damage any equipment. We don't hurt any people. So we, we've taken it to that level now. But, but the hard part is accomplishing zero. So, and I talked about this a little bit before, it's what's called a safety triangle. There was a guy by the name of Herbert William Heinrich that developed this, and this was actually before OSHA was developed many years ago. So if you can imagine a, a triangle, and if you take that triangle and separate it into five different sections as you go up to the apex, okay? So you have a small little triangle here, and then you have, you know, each one's a little bit bigger. That bottom section is representative of unsafe behaviors. Just above that, that section above it would be what's called a near miss, right? Or, or an incident that occurred that could have caused damage, but it didn't. Just above that would be a first aid, right? Above that would be a, a relatively minor accident. You know, minor in this case could be broken bones, though. Remember that. The smallest one is, or the major ones, the, the life-changing fatalities and things like that. So what, what this gentleman came up with was, if you focus on the bottom, if you focus on the unsafe behaviors, we can eliminate the ones above that. So what we've done is we've taken it even a step further than that. So yes, we, we identify unsafe behaviors daily on our projects. We now identify unsafe behaviors in our offices even. We, we have a program that, that's out there, and I get emails know, a few times a week through the Good Catch program. We, we have employees in our offices right here sending me things with pictures saying, hey, look what I saw. You know, or I, I saw this fire extinguisher that wasn't charged. Hey, great catch. You know, or I, I saw coffee spilt on the floor in the break room or 
you know, a bunch of stuff. There's probably 75 examples of that in my inbox right now that I, that I have. So identify those. Then, uh, again, if I can identify those near misses, I can eliminate the first aids. And we've actually proven this just in the last six months here at Empirical where we started to incentivize the reporting of near misses, okay? And by identifying that block in that triangle, we've taken what the first aid's above it to a zero. Zero, none. We haven't had a first aid in five months, you know? But that number for the near misses has, has gone up. So we had, you know, a dozen or so of those with zero first aids because I, I can I can adjust our program to meet that need. That's very interesting. So it sounds like there are some ways then that technology can actually improve safety performance, your operational effectiveness, and even the, the performance of the business as a whole. Are there some other solutions or applications of this that you're currently involved in trying to accomplish that very objective of backing those higher things in that triangle back down? Absolutely. So first of all, we have to understand something. When it comes to reporting something, now, now you have to think about the psychology, or the, the mindset of the employee. Number one, if there's any repercussions or perceived repercussions, okay, they're not going to report it. They're just not. Or very, very few times. Now, a repercussion would be, you know, they weren't wearing their gloves so they're fired or there's discipline happens. They will not report that to you, I promise. But a perceived repercussion, believe it or not, is, okay, so again, if we back up in time and we see as these human performance things have grown, back then, if there was a minor incident or even a near miss, Shut the whole job down. We're taking pictures. We're doing interviews. You know, we're doing a full-blown root cause analysis on this, right? People don't report it now because that's a perceived, oh, I, I don't want to be involved in all that. So it, it was counterproductive to do it that way. Now, we, we still do those things. We just don't involve that employee or his, his company. It's still going on behind the scenes. We're still creating root causes. We're still figuring out what happened, why it happened, and all this. But it's not shutting the work down and, and creating that environment. So, so no repercussions, no perceived repercussions. And the second part, if it's too difficult, they're just not going to do it. You know, if, if I have to write a paragraph, you know, that, that's, you know, college spaced and, you know, create all my notes, and I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's just not. So we had to create it very simple for them. So what we do, we have a program called EHS Insight. There's many of them out there. I'm, I'm not promoting any one. That's just the one that we chose because it met our needs. But what it allows us to do is, so if an employee has an incident or, or a, a near miss, all he does is tell his supervisor, hey, you know, Mr. Supervisor, this just happened. All right, boom. In about less than five minutes, if you do it a few times, probably three minutes, you can open up the app on your phone or go to your computer and you can completely do this. Fill it out in three minutes or less. And that information now gets tracked. Okay. So every time that one of these happens, it, it goes into our, our, into our system, into our database. At the end of the day, we track all that information and I can track it a hundred different ways if you want me to. Okay. But again, the, the critical part of this is tracking and trending. So... Again, with, with the right intentions, companies over the years have created these programs where you identify behaviors or near misses or whatever, and it, it gets documented, and then it stops there. 
you know, and truly I've, I've done it before where, you know, I have a, a, an empty box under my desk where these behavior cards end up in that box under my desk and it's great information. And I, I read it. So I have it in my, in, you know, up here, but then what? What, what, what are we doing with it? It just stays there. So if you don't track it and be able to trend it, at the end of the day, it's it's just a bunch of pointless information. Pointless good information, but pointless information nonetheless. So what we do is we, we take all this information from unsafe behaviors, near misses, even first days, anything that happens. We do multiple observations a day per person on the site. Our subcontractors are doing them. We do weekly walk-arounds. We do monthly audits. And all of this information gets put into one system. And I can, again, I can go in and click on certain things and I can create reports that will show you what your trends are. Where do you need to focus? Maybe it's housekeeping. Maybe something's that simple. Maybe it's you have a, a, a policy that needs to be adjusted, okay, because this, this is not working for you. It's amazing what, what these programs nowadays can do. Well, like any database, you've got all this information in there, but it, it's only as good as the, you know, how recent that information is, yep. the quality of that information, how complete it is, and how many people are doing it. If the technology is allowing them to put it in faster, easier, mm-hmm. that means they're going to use it more yep, likely. Absolutely. And, of course, then you can put the machine to work for you. That's you it. can search on it. You can trend it and, and get this in a graphical format, put it on dashboards, and so on. Like you said, when it's a stack of boxes and it's good information, nobody's being able to use it. The company's not improving. Mm-hmm. The behavior's not changing. Yep. But now you've got tools that can display that. Yeah, but that, that's where technology is going now. Right. When, when we are allowed to stay out in front of that technology and, and, and or at least stay up to date with it and use what's out there because we could I take that same information hand type it into an Excel spreadsheet and create a graph absolutely I could but again people are only going to do it if, if it's not too hard to do you know and that looks great it works great for those presentations you know when you're able to throw that big fancy graph up there for the next bid but in reality it's, it's going to decline major if it's not something that's easily obtainable. I would imagine, too, it's going to point out those things, going to highlight kind of what bubbles to the surface as the real areas for the company to work on. Exactly. You know, sometimes I think maybe we have some recency bias. Oh, yeah, we know what just happened. Yeah. Or maybe something similar happened a couple of times, so that's fresh, and we think that's what we've got to work on. But you know what? Maybe the data shows something else. Yep. Or maybe there's a hidden one that we didn't think was a problem, but there have been a lot of your misses on this one particular thing. Mm-hmm. You know what? That might be the thing that's going to bite us next time. That's it. And that's where the computer kind of gets away from that bias and, and can show us that. So if we had this now solid foundation and, and we've really properly and thoroughly kind of trained everybody, is it kind of possible then to start to see into the future, you know, what's, what's being tracked, what's being trended from all these observations and get better data points around that? Absolutely. And that, to me... Is, is the best part of this whole thing. So, so here's just an example. So I, I have guys that are in the field, eight or 10 at a time, plus our subcontractors. We're talking hundreds of people now that are out there inputting this information. And let's just hypothetically say that over any given period of time, I have a certain number of, oh, his hand was in the wrong place, so it's documented. Oh, she wasn't wearing gloves, so it was documented. Or, you know, oh, you almost cut your finger, documented. So all these hand-related things are documented during a given period of time. What I can do at a corporate level, though, is I can pull up the graph and see all of it. And when I see that hand injury line start to tick up on that graph, instantly I send 
training programs out. I send documents out. We start doing safety meetings. We, we do stand downs if necessary. All this different stuff focused just on hand injuries, just on hands, right? Next week, that line comes right back down again every single time. So if I see that line start to tick up, I can see into the future. I don't know where and I don't know exactly when, but I promise you, you're about to have a hand injury. No, no doubt about it. It's about to happen. So if I can get out in front of that, if I can see it before it actually happens, again, I can adjust our programs and I can send certain pieces of information out to certain people and get that trend to dive back down again. Next week, it'll be something else. Week after, and it's just, again, it's continuous. We're, t- we're talking about people again, humans. They, they, they make mistakes. But we're identifying these mistakes ahead of time, and there's enough redundancy built into this program so that we don't hurt anybody. But that technology and, and being able to track and trend things that way, by far the most amazing thing that, that uh, is being used in safety today. And I would imagine the more it gets used, the better it becomes. Absolutely. And the more data, the more patterns it can look for and find, yep. the better it's going to get year after year of, of finding those things for yep. you. And, and you know, we, we can break it down to a region of the country. Believe it or not, when you have a company the size of Empirical that's doing things, you know, nationwide, certain regions have a certain type of accident, you know, it, and, and it's the way they were brought up down here in the South. Hey, when, when I went to high school, I had a pocket knife in my pocket everywhere I went. That's just what we did. Today, you'd never do that, right? That's just, oh, that, that can't happen. I can't take one on an airplane with me anymore. So those, you know, just the stuff that, that we're taught as a child as we grow up in certain regions of the country ultimately can become hazards down the road to us. I mean, we would never think about freezing to death here in South Louisiana, not not literally. I mean, it's, you know, 50-something, we're all shaking right now in sweaters. But, the, you know, we, we would never, that's not something we would think about. But regionally, that's a real deal on some places. So we, we can break things down even to different regions of the country and tell you what kind of accidents you might have. So now we talk about these companies, you know, that want to not just be compliant. They truly want to have this safety culture ingrained. They've taken these steps. They've found the right technology and, and know how to implement the data. They've trained the staff. They've really kind of integrated all of these tools at their disposal, including the training. So once we get to that point, how does a company really then know if they're successful at eliminating some exposure for their employees and their subcontractors and, and some follow-on risk? I think... Well, the obvious answer there is your incident rates, right? So we can calculate incident rates. There's also what they call an EMR or an experience modifier that's given to us by our workers' comp carrier. Basically, what that tells us is we're above or below average. We have a, a more or less chance than the average company out there to have, to, to, to have an incident. So those are all great numbers. But here's the thing. Again, when you get that buy-in from the, the stakeholders, from, from the upper echelon of your company, that culture just becomes normal, okay? Accident-free is normal to us now, you know? I have some of the younger safety guys out there that'll tell me things like, look what we did this last month. We didn't have an accident. That's normal. Appreciate that. You know, that, but to us now, like I told you, when I first started, recordables were normal. You know, it, it happened regularly. Now, zero is normal. It's just, that's what we do. So we, we've really gotten that that good at things. But... So when, when you create that accident-free as normal, that creates better morale on your sites, right? I mean, wouldn't you all want to work for a company that cares about you a lot more than you'd want to work for one that doesn't? That's, that's normal. That, that'd be, that's a great thing. So that, that creates better morale. 
better morale means you have more loyal employees. And, and in our case, sometimes loyal subcontractors, fair enough. But again, our, everything that we do at, at Empirical, we expect of our subs. And we implement this with our subs on our sites. We, we train them the same way we train our own employees. So, so nothing, we, we don't look at them as company XYZ. When they're on our site, they're Empirical, just like I am, just like you guys are. So it creates better morale. Better morale creates more loyal employees. What does a loyal employee do for you? It gives you better work. Better work means less rework and better quality. Better quality, less rework, there's your bottom line. That means now I don't have to put employees in other unsafe environments where they feel rushed to get it done, okay, to create more hazards, and I'm not having to pay for all this rework. So now I've just taken something that a safety program, we'll call it for lack of a better term, and just taking it all the way through the process and, and understanding the way people think and creating that morale, creating that loyalty, creating better product for our customers, and we don't have to go back and rework it because I promise you, and Matthew can speak to this better than most of us, you know, you, you were the client for a long time, right? And, and hey, when your subs are telling you they got to go do rework, yeah, it's not coming out of your pocket. They got to pay for it, but man, isn't that just, that'll burn you up. And what does that do on the job site? Well, now we got to hurry up and get it done. And now we're losing money. And because we're losing money, we can't afford the good safety glasses anymore. And it's just, it's a, it's a snowball. So by doing, truly knowing that accidents are preventable, accident-free is normal. At the end of the day, it helps our schedule and our budget and everything else. Well, I've really enjoyed this. I, I know sometimes in our industry, we tend to think of all the technology wrapped up in our design and our innovations and modeling and, and so forth. I don't know that a lot of people would have would have thrown safety in that mix, mm-hmm. but you've clearly demonstrated here this year that it is, that there's a lot more to come, but that it's something that can be implemented along with the program to achieve uh, the objective of not just bringing technology in, but bringing it for a purpose, and that is coming out with an enhanced safety culture Absolutely. and happier and safer employees. Yep. And, and we have uh, we have some other technology out there that we were talking about the other day. And uh, so the the next time, if I get invited back, we'll, we'll talk about that one. But it's a system that you guys have seen a little bit of here recently, but it, it affects our emergency action and business continuity plan. So we're able to communicate with people and, and let them know what's going on in certain parts of the country or here at the office or on a job site or whatever. But we'll we'll save some of that for next time. That sounds great. Rod, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me. We heard today from a seasoned safety veteran that safety is not only desirable, but that it's also a good investment. It fosters happier, more productive employees that are less complacent, leading to fewer incidents and less rework. Part of that investment in safety is in new technologies that allow the industry to move closer and closer to zero accidents. Because the programs of today can predict which leading behaviors are prone to become future incidents, giving companies the ability to correct those behaviors in time. And ultimately, this is what we all desire, the health and safety of our fellow workers. Well, that about wraps up this edition of the PowerTech Podcast. If you haven't yet, please log in to wherever you've subscribed to the podcast and both rate this show and leave a comment as that really helps new subscribers in the power industry to find us. Also, for more free insights on bringing technology to the power industry, make sure to visit Empirical.com. We post free white papers, articles, and all of our previous podcasts there. Plus, you can register for a free 3D strategy planning session call with one of our 3D planning specialists. Again, 
You can do all of that and much more at Empirical.com. Please stay tuned and join us for the next episode of the PowerTech Podcast. And until next time, keep engineering powerful solutions.